welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Scripture reading. We're in the middle of a series called The Friend Zone, and we're going through the book of Ruth. And so we're in chapter three this week. Um, and Mike's going to be speaking on this passage and teaching us. So I'm going to read um, Ruth chapter three, verses six to 16. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother in law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Um, And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. All right, hey guys, I'm Mike, one of the leaders here, and this is actually the first time in this series that I'm speaking. Uh, We've had a different speaker each week, I think, for this series. It's only a four-week series. Uh, Daniel spoke the first week, Michelle, and then a really good friend of mine, Kevin Brown, will be speaking next week. Like, yeah, like uh, a few of you guys know him. Uh, Like in that announcement, it said uh, he started a church outside of Philly, and we partner with this church in, in uh, the Holy Land. And, and we've just learned a lot from them. They, their church is planted in the same DNA as our church, so Kingdom Disciple Society Church, what we've been talking about in January. And this is the church that I told you guys about a few, I don't know, a few months ago that I went to. And this church gives a lot of feedback. Like when you're, when you're talking, they talk back to you. So it was like super encouraged. Like it's full of atoms, this church. And... So uh, he, he was asking me about how our church is, and I was like, well, we have like one or two people who do that, uh, but just, just one, yeah. I'll, I'll add to it, so me and Adam next week. Uh, but I'm really excited about it. He's going to do, he's going to help me train church planters next week, or actually this week. Uh, he's going to do part of our West Bank series, and then uh, he's going to speak on Sunday. So really, really excited about that. Uh, just to give you, let's, let's talk about this series, uh, because we've talked about, it's, it's called Friend Zone, and 
talked about different, different characteristics of relationships throughout the series. I just want to give you guys a series description and go over this real quick, because this is going to be the foundation for what I'm going to talk about this morning. So it says here, relationships are a part of everything you do. We're all in relationships, right? But they're also the source of many of your struggles. Why do you come up against the same issues in every relationship? How do you stop arguing about the same things over and over again? Relationships have so many layers, but the solid foundation of a thriving relationship is not attraction, it's not money, it's not sexual intimacy, it's not dependency, it's not happiness, it's choice. It's choosing love, it's choosing friendship. And we've entitled this Friend Zone because the foundation of all relationships has to start with friendship. And we're in this culture, especially a, you know, Valentine's Day was this past week, we're in a dating culture where where uh, you know you just you meet people and you date and there's all this pressure because it's a date and you want to try to make it I, I don't know um, make it work and there's all this pressure on that whole thing to <laughs> I was talking to someone this week and they use the term going steady there's all this pressure <laughs> to like <laughs> define and then someone said DTR which I'm not I didn't know what that meant because I'm an old guy uh, but it's Archie do you know what it means oh Archie well. <laughs> He works, with, he works with university students, so Archie would uh, define the relationships. There's all this pressure to do that, define the relationship and, and all these things. And we just wanted to, in this series, take, take away all that and, and let that dissipate a little bit and start with friendships. Because the reality is, before you even get into a dating relationship, before you get into a marriage relationship uh, and all those things, and we don't even know how to do friendships well. We don't even know how to do church well, guys. And we can't even do brother and sister relationships well in the church. Right? How do you expect to, if you can't do that well, how do you expect to be married to somebody? Right? How do you expect to, to date somebody? How, how do you, you know, we need to start here with, with the friend zone. Right? Let's, just, let's just be here. So that's why we've called it this. And, and each week we've talked about, I think Daniel talked about perseverance and some other things, loyalty maybe, I don't know. Jesus, yeah, I think Jesus was in there. Um, Michelle talked about not being, a, not being a container, but being a conduit for things. What the Lord gives us, we want to give to others, and we want them to receive that. And, and today we're going to talk about some things with, with the relationship with Ruth and Boaz. Uh, before we jump in, uh, let me share this with you. So growing up, I, so I love sports. I love playing sports. I love watching sports. I love sports everything, and I can watch pretty much any sport, and, and I'm game for like playing any sport. But growing up, I wasn't very good at sports. I, got, I, was, I was a runt growing up, I was like 5'2", until I was in my fourth year of high school. Uh, I developed really late in life. Um, so I was, and in school growing up, they always pick the two best people to be captains, right? In the schoolyard. So whether it's basketball, football, whatever, it's you pick the best, <laughs> you pick the best, uh, sorry, just a tiny bit distraction, distracting. <laughs> uh, you pick the best two people to, to do that, right? And, and it's so bad. I guess they still do this today uh, because I'm standing there and it's just like rejection after rejection after rejection, right? Because you don't get picked the first time you get picked. And inevitably, I would always get picked last 
or close to last. And it was always like, oh, yeah, Mike, you just come on our team. Yeah, it's okay. Come on, come on over here. Like, hey, just don't mess things up, okay? Like, you just stand over there and in and, and that part of the field, and you just make sure you don't, don't ruin what we have. And, and so uh, a lot of, it just, it's just a lot of rejection, a lot of feelings of inadequacy, right? And, and again, I was underdeveloped. I was like 5'2", I was, I was weaker, I was like, I was just, I just developed late. And, and so what that made me do was, I was, I never had the most natural talent. I never was the one who had all the natural ability or, or anything, so I never threw myself into one sport. But what it developed in me is an ability to be, to be able to be well enough, to do good enough in multiple sports, uh, but I never got great at a sport. And, and that's, for many of us, that's relationships. And that's your, that describes your relationships today. It's, it's riddled by fears of rejection. It's riddled by fears of inadequacies. You can do relationships good enough to be in a variety of different relationships, but you're not great at very many relationships. They're just pretty surface level, right? Like, you can get along with people at work, but you're not, like, deep with people at work. Like, even some of you guys who are dating or in marriage, you're like, yeah, it's, it's working, uh, but it's not where it should be. It's not great. You want to call it magnificent. You'd be like, I'm the best person at this, right? And, and it's because we've, uh, we have all these feelings of rejection, of inadequacy, that ironically enough, a feeling of inadequacy, when we try to hide it, creates a prideful heart, not a humble heart, right? And we act out in that in our relationships because we're trying to hide our inadequacies. We're not willing to be transparent and open and honest, all the things that, that Jamie just talked about in prayer. And, and, uh, and so I hope this morning that this is an opportunity for you to change that. And when I say you, I don't mean you have that power on your own. This is an opportunity for you to come to Jesus, to have him sift you and change those things in you. Because in relationship, and here's the bottom line today, the door to relationship leads to the threshing floor. Okay? The relationship door leads to the threshing floor. And we're going to talk about the threshing floor. We're going to talk about this throughout the, this entire sermon today. But keep that in mind as we go through this, go through this uh, sermon, that when you enter into relationship, it's not meant to be easy. It's not meant to have everything in line right away. You enter into the threshing floor, okay? And things get, well, we're going to talk about this in a second. I want to get ahead of myself. So let's go into Ruth 3. This is the word of the Lord. And in verses 1 through 4, okay, let's, let me give you a, a quick synopsis of the story for some of you guys who have missed this. This is verse 23 in chapter 2. It, and it ends with this, Ruth, Ruth, it says, she kept close to young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley harvest, a barley and wheat harvest, she lived with her mother-in-law. So we see there an indication of time. Uh, so between chapter two and chapter three, the months have gone by. We don't, I don't know how many, I didn't go look at like the agricultural schedule of ancient Israel, but like, there's months, months have gone by in this time. And what's happened in this, in this account so far is Naomi's this, mother, this mother-in-law, Ruth is her daughter-in-law. Naomi was, is an Israelite. She was living in, in this area around Bethlehem, and there's a famine, and she flees. 
uh, with her husband Elimelech, they go to Moab, this country. Now, Moab has a whole history, which Kevin, I'm sure, will talk about next week because it comes like full circle next week. And I don't want to ruin the ending like Michelle did for, for us <laughs> who were here last week. Uh, but it all comes full circle next week. And, and so they go, there's, there's food in Moab, and they have two sons. Those two sons marry two Moabite daughters, but all the men end up dying. Elimelech dies, the two sons die, and it's just Naomi, and the two daughters left. And, and she hears that the famine is, has gone away, so she goes back to Bethlehem, and one of the, one of the daughter-in-laws, Ruth, goes with her. The other one, uh, Naomi says, you can, I, she says, I release both you. Ruth says, no, 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 I'm going to stay with you. Uh, and so Ruth goes to take care of Naomi. And so she is now... Ruth, a, Mo, a Moabite woman, is now in a place that is not her own land, that is not her own people, not her own customs, not her own history, none of that. It's completely different, okay? Remember that. So she is now here. They're, they're extremely impoverished. So she's left to glean in the fields, pick up after the harvesters come through, just pick up the scraps, basically. And she comes on into the field of Boaz, providentially, and her, and, and Boaz has heard of her, he's a redeemer, so Michelle explained a little bit of that last week, he is, he's a person who's related to their family somewhere down the line who can actually rescue their family lineage and reestablish their social standing in, uh, in Israel, and he would do that by purchasing the land and marrying one of her daughters, one of her daughter-in-laws, which in this case is Ruth. So that's Boaz's role in this. Up to this point, guys, maybe even throughout, yeah, there's no romance involved. And Michelle talked about this last week. She, she talked about how people say, oh, I just want a Boaz. And, uh, but no, there's no romance. Like, this is all duty, custom, and obligation. Okay? So when you read the book of Ruth, don't read it through your dating lens, don't read it through our cultural love lens, don't read it through our romantic relationship lens. That's not happening here. It may happen, we don't know in this chapter and in chapter four. The Bible doesn't talk about it in that way, but that may be going on in three and four, but up to this point, it's just obligation. It's just pure duty. It's pure like survival. Like Ruth is trying to provide for that family. And and now we enter into chapter 3. In the first five verses here, uh, Naomi says, and she keeps on going in this duty and obligation, she says, so Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to Ruth, I wanted to be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative? And she's basically like, remember, months have elapsed in this relationship. She's saying, hey, it's just, it's just time for you to do something. It's time for you to go to the threshing floor, chapter 3, it's, it's interesting, she says, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. So she's preparing herself to enter into the relationship in a new way. And do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down in verse 4, observe it, observe that place, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. Does that sound very romantic to you? Go and uncover his feet. I mean, think about this. This guy's been threshing grain all day, and he's been working in the fields. Uh, this is like ancient Israel, right? Her uncovering his feet probably like lets all the flies out. Right? It's not like a romantic picture. 
Right? His feet probably are smelly, dirty, uh, all those things. He's just like sleeping in the field, basically, on a threshing floor. And, and she says, go and cover his feet. Remember, she, uh, we don't know. She may not even be familiar with this custom. Right? She's just doing what, the mother, what her mother-in-law is saying. She do. You don't see her say, that's weird, Naomi. Like, is that, are you sure I should do this? She just does it. It's, it's duty, obligation. She loves Naomi. She trusts Naomi. And, and she just, she's like, okay. Uh, she says in verse 5, all that you say, I will do. Like, guys, this is a very unorthodox, very, it's just very unorthodox situation, right? We don't see this anywhere else in the scriptures, in the practices and customs of, of Israel. And, and she's going in the cover of night. She is, she's going to go uncover part, <laughs> part of his, the, the word for this is actually in Hebrew actually refers to the entire legs. So it's not, not really just feet, but it could be part of his legs. So she's like uncovering more than just his feet, his part of his legs. And, and then she's going to lay down as he's sleeping, lay down at the foot of this person, right? And just wait. Like, that's just creepy, right? Like, how many of you guys uh, like, are going to put yourself out there like that? That's, that's just creepy. So she's like, okay, I'll do it. Verse 6. She goes down to the threshing floor. Threshing floor pops up so much in this, in this passage, and I'm going to focus in on it uh, in a few minutes. So she goes down to the threshing floor. She did just as the mother-in-law commanded. And when Boaz had eaten drunk, his heart is merry, he went and lay down, and he falls asleep. And then she comes softly, like, right? She's like tiptoeing him there. She comes softly and uncovers his feet and lays down. And here's where you can really see, verse 8 is where you can really see how unorthodox this is. Because at midnight, the man was startled, he turns over, and behold, and whenever you see that word behold in the Hebrew scriptures, it's like a smack in the face. Okay, so, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, exclamation point. Like, ah, this is, this is like, this is a little, little nuts. Boaz is like, whoa, wakes me in the middle of the night. And guys, it's not like he woke up in the middle of the night in Toronto where there's lights and street lights. Like, picture this. They're in the middle of this field in Bethlehem with no electricity, right? It's dark. It's, it's really dark. And in verse 9, he says, who are you? Actually, actually, wait, before we get there, before we go there, let's, let me point some things out about Ruth. So she, she takes initiative in this relationship, Right? Next week, we're going to talk about Boaz and Ruth, and that ordering is, is significant because Boaz starts to take initiative in, in chapter 4. But here, Ruth is one taking this initiative, and she's very bold. Right? In order to take the relationship from this point to, to the next point, she, she's very bold. And guys, basically what she's done is she's just proposed marriage to him. She's, she says, she's going to say this, like, you're a redeemer, in verse, in verse 9, she, he says, who are you? She answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She's like, you're supposed to redeem me. That's your role in this. And she's like, you have an obligation to do so. Like, this is part of your duty. And so basically, she's proposing marriage to him. This is very, just, just think about the, the impact of this. And she says, I'm your servant. So she's very humble, right? She comes in with a servant's heart, 
with humility. She comes in in boldness with a servant's heart and humility. Like, those things can go together. And she's initiating this relationship, and she's very transparent. So you see, like, four characteristics of relationship there. Transparency, humility, boldness, initiative. She's taking those things. Guys, if we can actually do those things in friendship, that would change your relationships. If you could step forward in boldness and initiative, you know why you don't? Because we fear rejection. We fear, like, Ruth totally puts herself out there. And we don't know. Like, this is like a climax in the, in the account right now. We don't know, pretend you don't know, <laughs> what Boaz is going to say and how he's going to react. He's startled, according to verse 8. He's like, who are you? Like, what's going on here? Right? He's, he's, it's the middle of the night, and we have no idea how this is going to go. It's either going to go really good or really bad. And we don't know which way it's going to go. And think about the context of this. Ruth is poor. Boaz is rich. Ruth is a woman. Boaz is a man. Ruth is a servant in the fields. Boaz owns the field. And what's, even, what's the most striking about this is Ruth is a, is a Moabite, and Boaz is an Israelite. Like, why should she even have right to that custom? Right? Like, she's very bold in asking him to, to spread his wings over him. We won't go into that phrase, but there's, there's significance in that phrase you can see in the rest of the Hebrew scriptures here in the Old Testament. So, but like I said, it's basically a marriage proposal. And he says, and she says to him, you're a redeemer. Okay, so what does he do? He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. He doesn't shoo away, he doesn't get angry. He says, may you be blessed. You've made this kindness, this last kindness, this one, greater than the first, in that you've not gone after young men where the rich are poor, where the poor are rich. Now, the first kindness that he, that he is talking about is from chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, you've left all your, he says to, to Ruth, you've left everything, you have left your home, you left your land, you left your relationships, and you have come here with Naomi, and he calls that, and, and he loses that as a kindness, and here he he says, this kindness is greater than even that one. And this word for kindness is, uh, Michelle talked about this last week, just to reiterate, this word for kindness is really untranslatable. It's a Hebrew word uh, that is untranslatable, really, in, into English, unless you, you have, like, 50 words in there. So we say kindness, but... Ah, that doesn't give the full force of it. Like, what's packed into this word is faithfulness, is loyalty, is, is um, this ever-pursuing, never-giving-up type of love and patience and kindness and goodness that, is, that Boaz is saying is in Ruth. And this word for, for this kindness, this love, loving kindness, is, is you'll see that in, in some texts, I think, some translations use that loving hyphen kindness as an English translation. You'll see this uh, a lot of times attributed to God the Father. So this is, this is a word that is attributed to God all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew language. And here Boaz is saying, Ruth, uh, he's identifying this, this almost covenant faithfulness, right, in Ruth. And he's done it in 2.11, now he does it again. And he says, wow, like, you are, you're a Moabite. And this is highly significant because she's a Moabite, right? Like, 
she's not an Israelite. So she grew up with a different faith, with a different God, with a different religion. She grew up with, with all these things different. And when she came to Naomi, she said, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. She, she becomes a believer, right, at that, at that point. And that, that, those words are significant. You can trace those words all throughout the Hebrew scriptures as well. It's covenant language. So when she says that, that's actually something that God says to his people a lot of times throughout the, the Old Testament. So she says these words, and, and so she's had this, like, conversion experience where she's, she's met Yahweh, she's met the Lord, and, and now Boaz is, is recognizing her twice in this book, in the short span of their relationship, he's recognized one of the chief characteristics of God in her. That's such a powerful, powerful thing. And that comes through her taking initiative, being bold, not letting her fears, her inadequacies, because guys, she is inadequate, right? Based on all those things, she has very, she almost has, she may have no social standing. I mean, very, very little social standing. Like she is not, she has nothing, and yet she's willing to sacrifice all that, rise above her inadequacies, and overcome those fears of rejection to, to put herself out there for Boaz, and really in loyalty to, to Naomi. And Boaz responds in kind, and he says this in verse 11, and now, my daughter, do not fear. Ah, oh, that's so awesome. Like, it's like he knows, right? He knows what, sh- what she should be doing. She should be fearful. And he says, my daughter, which is what, how Naomi talks to Ruth. This is a very endearing phrase. He says, my daughter, don't fear. You don't have to fear anymore. He says, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Okay, you can just read over that, but there's... That, that phrase, worthy woman, it's very highly significant. So two things. I said two things. That's like a one finger right now. <laughs> you're, <laughs> if you're listening online, I got my fingers bandaged because, uh, yeah, I told the story last week, but, yeah, something, yeah. Anyways, um, my, I look like a Ninja Turtle right now. So uh, two things. I'm left-handed, too, so this is just not, not good for me. So two things here. One, Ruth is called a worthy woman. Boaz, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, was called a worthy man. Okay, so you have a worthy man and a worthy woman. Let's take, let's take an aside right now, and let me just talk about dating relationships. In a dating relationship, if you are pursuing, and, and for us, I'm talking to followers of Jesus right now, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, uh, the only purpose of dating relationships for you is to find a spouse. The only purpose of finding a spouse is to live on mission greater than you're doing it now. Follow me? If there's no other reason to have a spouse, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, you'd be happier. <laughs> Sounds so crazy to say this. He just like elevates marriage. And time, not elevates, but he talks about how marriage is a picture of the gospel. And then he's like, hey, actually, you'd all be happy if you're like me. Just stay single and pursue Jesus. Uh, so if you're pursuing Jesus and your, spouse is, and your potential spouse is pursuing Jesus, that's when it's like you want to move forward. If your potential person is dragging you back from pursuing Jesus, that's not, that's not good for your relationship with Christ. 
right? That's, so going back to dating, I'll get carried away with that. Going back to dating, we have a worthy man and a worthy woman here. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is no reason you should date a non-follower of Jesus. You're to be looking for a worthy man or a worthy woman. A noble man or a noble woman is another translation. There's no reason for you to be, to, to seek that with someone who's not a follower of Jesus if Jesus is your life. If Jesus uh, has rescued you, if Jesus is everything to you, if he is your chief love in life and your chief pursuit, why would you bring someone into that that's going to pull you away? Okay, because it will pull you away. And here's, here's the thing. I was talking to someone about this this week, and, and here's, relationships are hard enough, right? We can all agree on that. Relationships are hard. They're not, they're not easy. Uh, any relationship is, is hard. Any relationship requires work and diligence, and when you can't even agree on the big things, how hard do you think it is to agree on the little things, right? I mean, you can agree, like, Missy and I, take Missy and I, we're, we're, really well-matched. She, I mean, I just do everything she says, and it's good. (laughs) We're, like, we're we're a team. We work together really well. We're best friends. We're partners in holiness, all these things. We are partners in life because we're both pursuing Jesus. But guess what, guys? We still have conflicts. A lot. I mean, not a lot. Um, But we still have, have conflict over, over things. And most of those things aren't even a big deal, right? Can you imagine if we didn't agree on, like, we started this church, right? Can you imagine if I was like, hey, we gotta start this church, and she's like, no. I mean, that's, that's a complete, like, we're going in totally different directions here, right? And, and that's, can you imagine when we, start, when we started having kids? I'm like, well, I, I want our kids to know Jesus. She's like, yeah, well, I don't really care about that. Totally different directions. Hey, our finances, we should steward them well. Um, I think we should give money to, to the church and the things of the kingdom. Yeah, I, the other person, I don't, I don't agree with that. You see what I'm talking about here? Like, those are major things. Those don't even include all the minor things. You're like, man, why don't you pick up your underwear? Like, why don't you help me wash the dishes? Why don't you um, do things like this? Or why, and I do things like, like, those are all the, the minor things of just living with somebody, right? But when you add in those big things, it's just gonna cause you more grief in relationships. And I wanna try to help you not have that grief. So please, please look for a worthy man or look for a worthy woman. Look for someone who loves Jesus first, not you first. If you're trying to fill the void in your own heart, you need to look, look more into yourself and, and go to Jesus with that. Here we have Boaz saying, Ruth, you're a worthy woman. And that phrase is used somewhere else in the scriptures. You don't have to say it out loud, but can you think of where that phrase is used? It's the Proverbs 31 woman, Proverbs 31.10. This is the, in all of the scriptures, this is the epitome of who the worthy woman is. This is biblical womanhood in Proverbs 31.10 and following. This is the book of wisdom in the Bible and the last chapter is devoted to the worthy woman and what she looks like, and Ruth epitomizes this. So when Boaz uses this phrase, 
It's the same phrase that that passage starts out with. It says, an excellent wife who can find, an excellent woman. And, and it says, this is what she looks like. And, and so Boaz here recognizes Ruth as that. And where were we? So he says here in verse 11, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And then he goes on, he says, and now it's true, I am a redeemer. Yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. You see his integrity there. Like, he says, oh, this is such a great kindness. May the, Lord, uh, may the Lord bless you. But yet he honors other relationships. Even though he sees, like, this is probably, God is working here. He wants to honor other relationships. He says, there's actually a redeemer nearer than I am. He says, remain tonight in the morning. If he'll redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Just this immense sense of responsibility to lie down until the morning. And, and so she does that, uh, and then she goes before everyone wakes up, and, and, uh, and then he gives her some barley in verses 15, and she goes back to, to Naomi. Going back to the bottom line, the relationship door leads to the threshing floor. The threshing floor is significant here because uh, the threshing floor was used, so they gather all the wheat, and they would take it to this floor, which is like a hard stone floor, usually a flatter surface, and they would just pound it out. They would step on it, they'd use animals to step on it, and the purpose of it is to separate the grain, the seed, from the chaff, from the husk, from the, the straw, and, and so you're separating what is good and what brings life and what brings nourishment and sustenance and what you make bread with and cereals and all that stuff, food. And, and then the other stuff, you're, you're just, that's, that's the bad stuff that you want to get rid of. And so this is a very arduous process. It didn't happen quickly. It took a long time for them to do this. And this is, of course, all before the Industrial Revolution, which changed everything. Now, now we have machines that do it, right? But, but back then, like, they're stamping this stuff out. Like, it's, like, when I say Boaz's feet were like sore and smelly, like, that's why, because they're, this is really hard work. And we see here Ruth willingly going to the threshing floor, and a new relationship happens. And so in relationships, guys, um, the reason I say the relationship door leads to the threshing floor is because when you enter into a relationship, it's not necessarily going to be easy. There's going to be some separation of the chaff from the grain, of the good things from the bad things. The, you know, when, when Missy and I counsel married couples and, and couples who are going to get married, we talk about, about them like they're partners in holiness. Like they're supposed to build in one and they're supposed to push each other closer to the Father. And guys, holiness burns. You're getting closer to the flame. Uh, you know, you see Isaiah in chapter 6, like, he's like, ooh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want that. Uh, he, he's like, this is, this is going to hurt. Like, relationships can be a crucible. Uh, and, and, you know, they're refining. And, and they're good, but... A lot of us, because of our fears of inadequacies or rejection, when the fire gets hot, we get out of those relationships. And as a result, you never get into real, genuine, transparent, 
relationships that are defined by humility and integrity and boldness and responsibility and, and initiative. And, you're, and you live your life in this pseudo sense of community, these pseudo relationships. And it's like, well, they're good enough. Like, I'll, I can survive through that. But that's not necessarily what Christ wants for you. He wants you to have this genuine, transparent relationships with people that, uh, that requires you to be more like Jesus. And that's what's happening in the threshing floor. Like, the Spirit, you have to allow the Spirit to, to kind of pound things out of you sometimes, to separate the chaff. We all have this chaff. And, and if we want to surrender all, like Adam was leading us in earlier, we have to be willing to let go of those bad things, whatever it is for you. Like, it may be that you're a cynical person. It may be that your first impulse is to argue. It may be that um, you have this sense of pride about how things should be done, and you, you have this sense of wanting to be right all the time. I'm sharing all my relationship problems with you right now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I look at Missy, she's like, amen. She's like, amen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, uh, yeah, keep on, keep on talking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, you have more, you have more. There's more, there's more chaff there. And, and guys, you, we have to be willing to let it go. We have to be willing to go to the threshing floor and allow the spirit to work in our lives that way. And the spirit works through each other. And we have to... Step forward in initiative, boldness, and transparency, and trust. Now I get it. Sometimes that trust gets betrayed, it gets broken, but that can't define all your relationships. If you're letting it, if you're letting broken trust in one, two, three relationships define all of them, that's exactly what the enemy wants. And he wants us to, to understand how relationship works here in the body of Christ first. Uh, let me go over, so let's go over some relationship questions real quick that I want you guys to consider uh, as we enter into the threshing floor. Are you willing to be threshed? Do you want to walk through the relationship door? Right? I mean, we, we're people who are built for relationships. We need relationships. We want relationships. But are you willing to walk through the relationship door that leads to the threshing floor to be made to be made more like Jesus through your relationships. is isn't necessarily going to feel good. Okay? So ask yourself that question, too. Do you want to get to the grain so that you can produce life and provide nourishment? Right? That's the goal in relationships. You're, you want to produce life and provide nourishment for others, but it has to be done in you first, which means the chaff has to be separated and thrown away. Okay? Number three. What chaff needs to be separated from you? Guys, that's just an honest question you should take to the Lord. God, what do you want to tear out of me in order to build up in me so that my relationships can look more like you? Right? Can you honestly ask the Lord that? Because if you can, then you're going to see movement in your relationships. Four, who are you struggling with in relationship right now? We're probably all struggling with somebody in a relationship. So who is that? If you can answer one, two, and three well, then you can hopefully provide life and nourishment and abundance in the relationship that you're struggling in right now. 
but let the Lord do something in your own heart first. It's so easy for us to point the finger and look outward first at the other people instead of looking inward first. Look inward first and then be that source, be that conduit, be that source of life and love to others. And then last one, number five, where do you need to grow in boldness, initiative, transparency, humility, responsibility, and integrity? All these things that we see in the scriptures here with Ruth and with with Boaz. Guys, relationships are a risk, right? When you enter a relationship, friendship, dating, marriage, family, whatever it is, coworker, neighbors, you're, you're risking something. And you, you are risking being rejected. And you are risking, uh, you know, you, it's kind of a gamble. You're like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work out, but I'm going to... And, and if, if you really want them to work out, those characteristics have to be in there. Because otherwise you're always going to be hedging your bets, you're always going to be like uh, a little distant, and, and what we want to see happen for you is genuine, transparent relationships. And if we can do that here, guys, where we do agree on the big things, we can do that out there in any context. So let's go and finish up with verse 16. Ruth goes back to Naomi, and... She says this to her. When she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi says, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. That, that phrase, how did you fare, my daughter, is, is uh, the same phrase that Boaz says to Ruth when she startles him at midnight. So it's the same words in Hebrew. It's, who are you? So, Boaz says that in the middle of the night, he says to Ruth, who are you? Like, what's, what's going on here? She goes back to Naomi, and Naomi says, who are you? Like, what's happened? What, what's different? Something's changed, right? Tell me about it. How, that's why it's translated as how'd you fare. It's a, like an, an interpretive translation. Like, how, how did things go, right? She notices immediately that something has changed in Ruth. Guys, the relationship door leads to the threshing floor. And the most intense relationship, the most intense threshing you're going you're gonna to experience is with Jesus. Like, who are you? Like Every time you, you come to the word, every time you come in community, every time you experience the Lord's presence, every time uh, you serve, every time you're obedient to what, what God is saying, it changes who you are. Jesus is constantly forming us and molding us and transforming us. And this question, who are you? Like, who are you? Like, you're, not, you're, the, you're not the same person anymore. You're different today than you were yesterday. That should be your story in relationships. And it can only come through Jesus. And so when I say I want to give you an opportunity to, to see yourself changed, it's coming to Jesus on the threshing floor and saying, Jesus, here you go, I surrender all. Because I want to say to you, like, who are you? Wow, what's happened? Like, you're not the same person who struggled with this sin. You're not the same person who used to think these thoughts. You're not the same person who used to look this way. Something's changed. Something's happened. Jesus has transformed you. He's molded you. He's, he's made you into more of his image. Paul says we are, 
we are moving from one image of glory to the next constantly. And this is the story of Ruth. This is the story of relationships. And in your relationships, you get to do that for other people, but you have to be willing to receive that from other people. You have to be, be willing to receive the, the threshing floor from other people. We're all on that floor together. And so as a church, let's enter through that door together so that we can be threshed together by our Lord Jesus. He epitomized all those characteristics, boldness, initiative, humility, because he humbled himself in the, form of cro- in, in, in the form of a servant on a cross. And he, he, he was a servant to us. And he risked relationship for you this morning so that you could experience life and abundance through the cross and the resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that oh, it is so beautiful. It is so intricately woven together. It is, it's just so amazing that uh, Ruth is this worthy woman and, and uh, just shows us what relationship should be like. Thank you for Boaz, who's a worthy man, who, who shows us what relationship should be like as well. And so, Jesus, we submit ourselves to you. Pray that you'd build into us those characteristics as a community, that boldness and transparency would reign, that uh, we'd be people who, are, are of, who, who just model integrity and responsibility and initiative for your kingdom. And so build those relationships here that we would go out into the world and do the same. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.